0: The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are going to look at 1 Peter, and um, let me explain. We are going to be doing, I'm going to talk about this in the sermon, but we're going to be doing just a small mini-series called Everyday Church, and we're just going to be looking at a few things to learn in 1 Peter. So, I'm going to read... 1 Peter 1, I'm going to skip a few verses, and we'll finish up just in the first beginning of chapter 2. So 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then picking up at 13 to 1 Peter 2, verse 6. So let me read this for us. I'm going to pray, ask for God's help, and then we're going to look at this together. Is that cool? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. you rejoice. And down to verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, let your hope, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with imperishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world and was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and it, in all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that in, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have trusted that the Lord is good. As you have... Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have saved us in Christ, and we thank you that you have revealed yourself in Jesus, and ask you would help us to love him more, to treasure him more, and to grow in him tonight. Through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things I actually is very uh, interesting that Bill mentioned it, if you watch the world around us, the world is changing very quickly it seems at times. The world seems to be changing. Things uh, I'm not sure. I'm not the type of person that thinks like, oh, there's a the good old days when things were way better and things are really bad now. I just think the badness has shifted from one, you know, terrain to another. Um, but it just the world is changing, right? It seems like the world is changing. And at times we can kind of wonder where is our stability? How do we how do we be faithful as God's people? How what does it mean to be called to be a disciple of Jesus or to love Jesus? In these days, and it's helpful to remember that Jesus actually um, lived in uh, difficult days as well. <laughs> the world was uh, not the way it should be, even when Jesus was walking around. And Jesus found a way to be faithful, to be loving, to be kind, and to be obedient to God. And Jesus found a way to build people around him um, amidst a very changing and diffi- difficult world, right? I mean, it was, you know, uh, they were oppressed by the Romans, and Jesus. Uh, if you don't know, Jesus eventually got killed for being who he was, and so we are, we are following Jesus, who was raised from the dead, thankfully, and we live in a world much like his that is very different and changing. But Jesus, his way of doing ministry and a way of finding stability and being faithful to God was actually not in the flamboyant things, but was in the ordinary things of life, right? If you look at his teaching, Jesus talks a lot about weddings and funerals and talks a lot about birds and bread and talks a lot about things that are kind of commonplace and normal. And that's where he lived, right? He lived at the dinner table. He lived with people, normal, you know, regular folks like us. And that's where he's calling us to be um, as well. Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost like us was in a context very much like ours. Difficult, yes, but in the ordinary, in the normal. I'm so grateful that Rachel prayed about the mundane things of life because that's where we live. We live in the mundane things and Jesus lived in the mundane things. And that's where he has called us to be as a church, to be people who are invested in love, the ordinary things of life, because that's where Jesus lived. That's where we want to live. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. Um, I am, I will just be honest. I am not an overly creative person. And so the title for this whole like little mini series is called Everyday Church. And it's totally ripped from a book. <laughs> I'm not copying the content of the book for my sermons, thankfully. But it is totally ripped from the book. Uh, Everyday Church by uh, Tim Chester and um, Steve Timmis. They're both English guys. So they, if they were talking right now, this would sound much more educated and a lot better. But um, Everyday Church is the to- the topic of the book. And it's actually just a book on the book of First Peter. And they talk about how Jesus calls us to be people that are on mission in the everyday life of the world, everyday life of the church, everyday life of, you know, paying bills and hanging out with friends. And being on mission just means being intentional with our love for one another and for God. And so we're going to be just kind of picking up a few of their topics uh, that they pull out of 1 Peter. We're going to be looking at everyday, uh, everyday community, as we're going to be looking at tonight, everyday mission. And then everyday evangelism, um, because we want to be people that are just—we want to be honest about who we are. We're ordinary folks, right? Nothing, nothing splendor about you. I mean, maybe you've got a hidden uh, secret superpower, uh, but we're all just ordinary folk who want to love the gospel and be invested in the lives that God has called us to. We want to be faithful. And so, one of the things we're going to look at tonight is just looking at the whole idea of community, right? One of the things about God's. The people that God gathers together, they end up having to form a community. They end up living (laughs) around each other. And that's what we find here. Uh, People, uh, Peter is writing a book to, or writing a letter to people that are in very difficult circumstances. Their world was changing just like ours. Um, And that they were, he was writing a letter to people who were trying to be faithful disciples in a different context. Um, a difficult context like like ours. And so Peter writes them this letter. And what he starts out by talking about here is their life together as a community of God's people. He is writing to people. He calls them exiles. Uh, You might call them refugees. You might call them immigrants. They are people that aren't from where they're at, but they are now God's people where they're at. And they're trying to be God's people with God's people where they're at. And so that's where, that's the that's the connection between us and this letter is that they are people trying to love Jesus together in a community with Jesus. And so we want to ask, what type of community are we supposed to be? What type of community are we called to be? What type of community would Jesus have us to be here at King's Cross and whatever your local church is? And I think what we're going to see here as we look at these verses together is that we are made to be a joyful community because we're called to something so much better in Christ. We're made to be a joyful community because we're called to, to something so much better in Christ. And so we're, going to, be looking at, we're going to be looking at three things. We're going to be looking at three ways in which we're called to be this joyful community. We're going to be looking at uh, the first thing we're going to look at is we're called to a new father. We're called to a new family, and we're called to a new life of love. So, um, are you guys cool sticking with me, looking at this first Peter, looking at what does it mean to be made a joyful community because we're called to be to something so much better in Christ. So let's pick up, um, we're going to be starting at the front of the letter here. We're going to pick up in verse one, we're going to look at this first thing called to a new father. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles and dispersion skipping down to verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, for the sprinkling of his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, now verse 3, we're going to be introduced to the Father that he is calling us to be blessed by. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So, if you're like me and you read this, seems a bit strange because here in verse three, we have blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to list all these ways in which he's happy. And maybe it's just a cynic in me, but I'm like, is this a father who's happy because everything about me is bad? Like, I'm the type of person that's messed up, uh, as he goes on to talk about in this letter, talks about how I am the type of person that is, uh, pushed around by my passions. I'm ignorant. <laughs> I am a sinner. Is God happy because I'm a horrible person? <laughs> like I look at this and I'm like, who is this father? But Peter has this in mind. He is helping us know who is our father because as Christians, we often forget at the heart of who, what we are, who we are called to know. And so he says, verse three, This God, God, why is he happy? Why is he a happy father? Why is he a happy God? He's happy because he has given us mercy. So you see there verse three, according to his great mercy, he's blessed, he's a blessed father. That means he's a happy father because he has given us mercy, which means he's happy to give us mercy rather than condemn us or cut us down or judge us. He has mercy because without him we're condemned. And he says in Verse 4, or sorry, says there um, in verse 3, it says he's, he's not only a happy father because he has mercy on us, he's happy because he's caused us to be born again. So he's happy because he's given us life. Because without him, we would be dead. Verse, uh, verse 4 there, where he's a happy father because he is a giver. He gives us an inheritance, it's Not only just like any old inheritance, like, hey, I, uh, I have these box seats at Fenway and my family will inherit them for eons to come. No, this is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. The Red Sox can come and go, but God's inheritance will be undefiled, unfading, and imperishable. He is a giver. This father is giving to us. He is a giver because without him, we are poor and needy. And he's also a protector. See there, verse five. There's a father, and you are being kept in heaven. Verse five, by God's power are being guarded through faith. He's a protector because without him we're vulnerable and weak and needy. We are vulnerable without him. So here is a father who recognizes, here is a God who recognizes that we were dead, we're condemned. We're poor and needy and we're vulnerable. I mean, that just, but he is happy to meet all of our needs, all that we could ever want, all that we need. He is a father who's eager to provide life and blessing and protection and mercy at every turn in our lives. He is happy to redefine our lives, right? It sounds to me like the people described here, people like me, people like you, are people that are broken, needy, helpless, helpless. And they're just a total wreck. But here, what, what Peter's saying at the very beginning of this letter, yeah, you're people who are broken, needy, helpless, and you're a wreck. But you're all of a family redefined not by all your problems, but because God loves to have mercy. He's a God who, he's happy. you ever thought about this? God's not just kind of like begrudgingly having mercy on you. Like, okay, I guess I'll do it again. Send again. All right. Here's some more mercy. No, no, no. God God loves, he's happy about giving mercy to us. He's happy about not judging us or condemning us. He's happy about protecting us. He's happy about giving us an inheritance where we will stand before God forever and ever. He's happy to protect us and guard us. That doesn't mean that all the problems go away. That doesn't mean that all of our... our, our, uh, problems and sins and needs are completely uh, just kind of like washed under the carpet of heaven. But it means that God recognizes them. and He loves to have mercy. He loves to, to plan to help us. I mean, this seems kind of crazy to me that this is what God would plan to be happy about. God the father would plan to be happy about this. I mean, could you imagine uh, setting up a, a company or being a, uh, an employer or being a boss, and you're like, okay, I need to I need to get more employees in here. And here's what I'm going to do. My benefits package is going to include them. I'm just going to account for the fact that they're going to be cheats. They're going to lie. They're going to be lazy. They're going to hate me. They're actually going to undermine me. They're going to take my company and sell it to the enemy, the competition. Actually, they're not going to do that. They are going to be the type of people that undermine other employees in the company, right? Can you imagine setting up a company that, like, Encounter like a benefits package, like, "Hey, I know you're a sleazeball, but here I want you to have have a job here." Now, qualification: uh, God's people are not like a company; you don't get fired. Just, <laughs> but this is what God's family is like. God the Father loves to have mercy on people. He has planned. It talks about predestination It talks about beginning of time, and God says, "You know what? I am going. I'm planning." Before anything happens, I am planning to have mercy upon weak, helpless, dead people. I'm going to give them life, and then I'm going to give them a new inheritance because they screw it up all the time. I'm going to give them something that will never go away. I'm going to give people protection because they are going to be bereft, and they're going to be attacked, and they're going to be oppressed. That's the kind of God that we have here, our new Father. He loves to provide everything for us. That's why verse 3, Peter says... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is happy. He's happy about this. He's happy to do this for us. And that is why, in verse 6, Peter then turns and says, In this, so this whole reality of our new Father, in this you rejoice. See, the response to this isn't to feel guilty that God's happy about helping you. The response is to say, oh God, I am so happy to know you. You've revealed yourself to me. I I want to, to be joyful, to respond to him. In our life together as a church, it means that the first thing that we look at as a local church or as a community of Christ people We are not defined by what we do together, the programs that we're involved with, the ways we serve the community, the way we love each other or let each other down or disappoint each other. We're not defined by those things. At first, we are first defined by a merciful, life-giving, giving, protecting Father. We're defined by Him. So I've heard, you know, sometimes people talk about, we need to be the church. I, I, I think I understand what they mean by that, we need to be the church. But first and foremost, before we get to talking about what we're doing, let's be a community of people that are talking about who God is first. Who God, our Father, who has planned to save us. I mean, the reality is, if you're in this room, you're a wreck, and you need a new Father. I need a new Father, you need a new Father, that means that we need God to be our Father. And He's happy about it. So before we start talking about what we're going to do to save, save the city and advance the kingdom, we're going to start by saying, you know, we're all a wreck, we can't do anything. First thing, this is who God is. And we are redefined by this Father's love for us, which, which also affects how we engage and think about our problems and struggles. I don't know what, what you're coming in with. We are, we are all broken and needy, but uh, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but if you wake up in the morning and you know Jesus, you love Jesus, the first thing that is true about you is that you are loved by the Father. You are loved by God. Maybe I had somebody recommend this practice one time. Take a sticky note and just write, loved by the Father, and just put it on your, when, your, your mirror in your bathroom. The first thing that you see in the morning, it's not all the ways I've failed, all the things that are going wrong, all the things that, are, uh, that I'm, I'm reaping what I'm sowing, right? All the things that I'm not, my to-do list is already piling up. The first thing that I see in the morning is love by the Father. That, in fact, your last name is kind of effectively a son or daughter of the living God. That, that's the first thing that's true about you. As, as a community of people, do you see? That, that's why I think we're called to a joyful community of people because we're not called to be people who are measuring each other by like, well, no, they disappointed me 10 times last week and then uh, Pastor Jacob is going to disappoint me again because he's a jerk and he did this to me last week. I mean, just I just want you to know, I, I'm I going to disappoint you. <laughs> Your Father in heaven will never disappoint you. He will never He'll never turn a frown towards you. He will always be looking towards you in Jesus. Which I wonder, and I just, I just want to confess, I need, I need help with this. And I want you to pray for me because it means that in our, in our life together as community people, before, before we start thinking about all the problems that somebody else has that need to be fixed, we need to be asking, what is the father's view of this person? How does a father think about them? The father thinks about them the same way he thinks about you. He sent mercy on them. He's protecting them. He's giving them life. He's giving them an inheritance with Christ. But before we get fixated on the problems that need to be fixed, fixated on who is God's, what has God said about this person in Christ? Which, if you're hearing me talk about all this uh, father language, hear me talk about all the ways as a church, as a community, we're called to enjoy the father together, rejoice in him, to know him, be a joyful community. That sounds to me like a family. So if you're thinking that this sounds like a family, you're tracking with me because we're going to pick up in verse 13. First Peter first 1, verse 13. We'll be looking at call, we're called to a new family. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. So remember, pick up on this language he's talking about. Children, Father, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, before the foundation of the world, but has been made known in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. See, I think it's, uh, maybe, uh, if you're like me, you're reading through this, and you're like, oh, okay, I, I, was, I tracked with the first image, second image I get a little confused, and then the third image is kind of like, uh, Peter, come on, give me a break. You know, he's talking about your children and then your exiles and then you've got forefathers and you know he's going to talk about being a house later on and somehow like blood and lambs get thrown in here. Uh, I get a little lost. So here's what he, at the, at the root, at the core of what he's talking about, the main thing going on here is that God's family is a distinct people. We're called to be distinct, different. Called to be Different from the the world around us, the culture around us, from who we were before, and he uses this weird word. You see it in the end of verse 17, and use it in verse one as well. Exile. You are through the time throughout the time of your exile. So what's going on? What's going on with that word? Because that's like it's like what's an exile? Like is that just for them? Is that some for us? Like, what does it mean to be an exile? Like exile. Um, when he's using that word, he's referring to the book of Exodus. So, in the book of Exodus, what goes on in the book of Exodus is God's people are uh, basically enslaved to another nation, Egypt, and God comes in through Moses and says, Let my people go. So, God goes in, sends Moses in, Hey, let my people go. Like, there's a big kind of like conflict between them. You think Hillary and Trump are bad, what happens between Moses and Pharaoh is like, you know, like, I mean, they got like magicians going at it, you know? There's like magic and stuff going on. (laughs) But they go after each other, God wins, leads his people out, they walk through the Red Sea, and uh, God is then leading them towards the promised land, and so they no longer have a home, they're going towards their home, but they've left their oppression, they're going towards their new home, and they're in the in-between, right? Uh... That is what the Exodus account is. Actually, just as a little plug, we're going to be going through the book of Exodus starting in January, so looking forward to doing that together, seeing the gospel in the book of Exodus. But that is the story, that's kind of the framework going on for what he means when he says exile. When, you're, when he says you are in exile, he's not just saying you've got your passport on you. He is looking at these people and saying you are being taken out of where you were and you're going towards where you will be, but you're in the in between. You live in the in between, and God is right there with you. But then He throws on these other images. He talks about blood of a lamb. What does He mean there? So in the Exodus story, what happens is remember there was this, uh, I don't know, you might call it like a shootout between God and Pharaoh. God wins always. But what happens is that a lamb's blood must be put over the door of the people of God as God's judgment passes through Egypt. The blood of the lamb is what protects them to be protected from God's judgment. And they walk out, and now they're on Exodus, and God leads them up to. The mountain where he gives them the Ten Commandments. Gives them, this is how I want you to live. This is the God of who I am. This is who, this is who I'm revealing myself to be. And then after they've gotten, they've gotten the Ten Commandments, Moses kills another animal and he sprinkles blood on them. Now, the purpose of all of that is to say, we are changed by the sacrifice of life. A life must be laid down to save us. A life must be laid down to lead us out of darkness, to lead us out of sin, to lead us out of oppression. A life must then be laid down to give us God's presence and God's word, to know God and to obey God, right? Blood must be shed, and what he is pointing to is that, in verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without spot or blemish, you are now clean, you are now accepted. You are now in God's family. So the picture is that you are saved from darkness and oppression and judgment by Christ's blood, and you are led into the protection and family of God because of Christ's life. Is that, you tracking with me? Is that making sense? We can respond. This is, okay, cool. So we are led and we are saved by the lamb Which means that we are in the family of God, being shaped by God's spirit, changed by him, led to be like Christ. Led to obey, so he says there, verse 16, you shall be holy for I am holy. We are to be increasingly like Christ. Because we've been led out of sin. You see here, here is the rub. We only, we only become a part of God's family when Christ, has, when Christ is received as having died for our sin. This is verse 14. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Verse 18. Knowing you were ransomed from the futile ways you inherited from your father. Without Christ, sin will destroy us. Our sins, our passions, our addictions, our neurotic behavior, our obsessions, they will destroy us without Christ. Everything, everything must come from Christ. We must have Christ himself to save us, to uphold us, to save us, to protect us, to give us God's mercy. That's the defining mark of people of the family of God is that they're saved from sin and now they're walking in holiness together, walking to be more and more like Jesus. That's why we talk a lot about loving Jesus together. We become more like God and we love Jesus. It's not just kind of like grunt out your holiness. We look to Jesus and we get more of him and we become more like him. Now, in the culture of the day we live, we can feel like um, the more... The world is increasingly against us. The world is increasingly against Christian faith, the the gospel. And that can lead us to feel like, um, make us feel a bit kind of like us versus them, right? Like, here we are, we're God's people, but they're the people with all the problems. They're the people who are against us. But the reality is that we're no different. We have to guard ourselves from this image, and that's why I think it's helpful that Peter uses this exile language, because the exiles of the Old Testament, they are all called to bless the people around them. They're all called to bless the nations where they live. God saved them to be holy, not to be distinct and kind of like other than, like, were better than you guys, they were actually called to be a, a light to the nation, to go out and to, to share who God was with people, with the other nations around them. They were called to go and tell them about God, but they were also called to go and bless the nations around them, help them with their projects. How can we help you do these things better? How can we build a better city? How can we do life together? How can we be involved in the same projects together? Because God loves to bless, right? That's, a whole, that's, that's what we are just looking at, God the Father, he loves to bless. Now his children, their holiness is not distinct from other than separate from kind of like, you know, like Amish. I don't know if you have you ever been to Pennsylvania? Yes. Yeah. So I lived in Pennsylvania for a few years. I love the Amish. Lord bless them. Yeah. Yeah. Bless the Amish. I love, but we can't live like that. I, you know, I, I love their crafts and food, but we can't live like that. That's not what we're called to be like. You're not like a, a Christian compound. We're called to live on the block to know the people around us, to live and share Christ with them. But it also means that we'll be distinct. It means we will be distinct as a church in how we do things, distinct as a people of God. And the reality is I think one of the ways in which we are tempted as a church, or not so necessarily us personally, but broadly Christians are tempted to um, be like the culture around us. We try, we try to entertain People with the gospel, try to entertain with the Bible, try to entertain with Jesus. And yes, we love fun here. We don't take ourselves really seriously. We love Jesus. We want to love Jesus together. And we want to do that in just like the ordinary ways of life, but we can't, we cannot compete with entertainment. So Steve Timmis and, um, Steve Timmis and I forgot his name, Tim Chester they say this in their book, we cannot compete with entertainment. Our missional cutting edge, so that's the the cutting edge of our intentional love, is not events that are like the culture, but a life and message that are unlike the culture. The context for gospel-centered community and mission is not events, but ordinary everyday life. We are called to be loving people around us, be invested in their lives, know what's going on. Do you know the names of your neighbors? Do you know the names of what's going on? Have you invited them over to sit around your table to get to know Jesus, get to know them, share life together with them? We're not going to be a church that's defined by one hyped up event after another. We are going to be very ordinary, very plain people who love to eat really good food together and hang out. Because that's what Jesus did. That's the type of family culture that we're, that we're building here. Where People are alive together. Yes, we're going to be different, but we're going to be different in ways that, that matter, right? We're going to be inviting. I want us to be inviting. So just as a family invites other people in, are you inviting your neighbors and friends and people who don't know Jesus around you, inviting them into your home, spending time with them? The family of God is defined, our father is an inviting God, right? We just looked at our father who invites us into his eternal grace, his love, his joy. He's inviting. He doesn't have to do that. Like God never needed you or me. But he invites us in. And the family of God now invites people in. That's why we do all these meals together. It's also why we have these small groups. So, I mean, if you are involved with a small group, I'm sure you've experienced this. If you're not involved in a small group, seriously, these are open to anybody. You don't have to be a Christian to be involved. Just come and hang out. But we we love just to hang out, and this is why, because we're a family defined by love for each other. We want to grow together to be more like Jesus. We want to grow to, to love the gospel more. We want to grow to love Jesus more. We want to grow to love each other more. So that's why we have small groups. It's not like some like great strategy. It's real simple. We just want to be a family together. Small groups are where we do that. So if you're not involved with a small group, I'd encourage you to be involved with one. If you can, if you'd like to be involved with one, there's uh, info in the bulletin. I'd love to talk to you about that if you want to be involved. So here we are. We're looking at... Is everybody sticking with me? Is it getting too hot in here for everybody? No. Okay. Just want to make sure we're all tracking. I I just feel like I'm talking too long. I'm sorry. Looking at 1 Peter here, we're going to pick up then in verse 22. So we are called to a new father, we're called to a new family, and here we are, we're going to pick up verse 22, we're called to a new life of love. God has made us to be a joyful community because we're called to something so much better in Christ. Let's look at verse 22, called to a new life of love. So verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. Grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants. As as in Zion, a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So, look with me at verse 22. Having purified your souls for obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love. What I find fascinating here is that Peter looks at the community of God's people. He looks at us, he looks at you and me, and he says... You were saved, you are in Christ, you were saved for sincere brotherly love. The point is not that you were saved and maybe you'll have sincere brotherly love. You were saved and a part of being in Christ is that you love other people. Specifically, you love other Christians. And it's not just kind of like a general love, it's specific committed love. From the book, Everyday Church, we cannot, oh, see, sorry, wrong quote. Brotherly love is not a byproduct of purification by obedience to truth. It is its purpose. We have been born again for brotherly love. The Christian community is not a happy byproduct of our salvation for a convenient help to individual Christians. We have been saved to be God's holy people, to be Christ's bride, to be a new family. This is why being a part of a local church is a big deal. This is why being a part of a a body of God's people is important because it is a part of what it means to be a Christian. To love Jesus is to love Jesus' people. To know Jesus is to know and love Jesus' people. It's not just kind of like, hey, maybe I'll be a part of a church someday or maybe I'll be involved when it's convenient. To be a Christian is to be a part of a local church. That's, That's why he says for. A sincere brotherly love. We don't just kind of get around Christians and kind of like individually do our own thing. Something we have to keep in mind when we talk about New Hampshire, live for your die. We are the individual libertarian state of the entire country. We love our individual freedoms. But when you become a Christian, you are by your DNA, in the very encoding of what it means to be a believer in Christ, you are called to love other people. Specifically, to love God's people together, and the way we know that the way we know that is because then in chapter two, verse one, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. That can only the only proof in the pudding for your genuine love is a long-standing intentional investment with other people, right? I only know that you and I are growing together and putting away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander when we do it together over a long period of time in in a committed local church relationship. That's why it is a part of the very DNA of what it means to be a Christian. To love one another instead of deceit and hypocrisy. Instead of malice, we are called to love. Instead of hypocrisy true and careful love for each other, right? A sincere love talks about purifying yourselves for obedience out of a sincere brotherly love talks about there in verse two, two, verse one, literally it's an unhypocritical love. We are called to live out this life of love together and it it takes work, it takes time, it takes being intentional If you you haven't been around me long enough, you will come to find out. I will put your love for me to the test. (laughs) I'm going to be difficult at times. I may be strong-headed. I might be a bit proud. Um, I I will always, I will always struggle to be perfect like Christ, which means that you will always struggle to love me. But that's the life of Christ together in us, because we have been forgiven of our sins. We have been forgiven of our boneheadedness, our sin, all of our addictions and problems so that we can look toward each other and love each other. You, Jacob, my friend, are a fool. But God loves you, so I'm going to stick with you. You guys, I love you. I'm going to stick with you, but only because Jesus sticks with you it is It is a life of love that 's defined by Jesus right at the middle between us rather than any sort of agenda for each other right i if i 've got an agenda for you that means i 'm not i 'm not really uh, genuinely loving you, but love has to work that 's the that 's the the point of what he 's saying here this new life of love it works, which is why I think Peter goes on to say we 're living stones being built for a house. this is where God lives when we gather together. This is a picture. If you want to know who is God, where does He live? Everybody in this room, this is a picture of what God's like. He, who He is, He's revealed Himself to be that He loves us. This is who God is revealing Himself to be, because we are a house. There's we stones being put together. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a mason. I don't build houses. <laughs> I'm not like the most handy man. But it takes time, it takes effort, it takes work. You have to cut things at the right angle, you have to put things just so sometimes you have to kind of reorient and put them in. But the image is that we are God's new house, his new temple, God here, King's Cross Church, Little Hall, New Hampshire, on the globe spinning around the sun God, God is here, that's why we're called to a new a new life of love. Together, sometimes it seems a bit odd. This intentional love that we have, um, it just catches people off guard when you're just a loving person to them, loving person because of Jesus. I was uh, once I was hanging out with a friend of mine, getting to know her. Uh, she was in a sober house, so kind of helping her kind of come out of uh, this sober house process, and just talking with her, and she was just like, "You're just, you're just good people." I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm just a guy that's just a big old mess that Jesus has loved. And now I'm here sitting next to you because Jesus loves you. That, that's the type of love, the life of love is love that's intentionally, we, we bear with other people, we bear with their broken and weird problems because God has dealt with our broken and weird problems too. We are right next to each other because we are just like them. And the reality is if you are a Christian, God's mission is being realized because you see there verse 25, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. You're only a Christian because God first pursued you, because God was on mission to pursue you. And so when you, when we talk about being, quote, on mission, which means just intentionally loving other people around us, it's because God was first intentionally loving us. And now we're just extending what God's doing. We're just joining what God's doing in his mission. It also means that we love other people without an agenda. We accept and embrace other people where they're at, come in to love where they are, whatever the problems are, whatever the struggles are. Because we we have at our disposal this one who was crucified for us. Crucified that we, because of our own agendas, We're separated from God. He brought us near because he was rejected. The reality is that we will, no matter what, whether the culture is friendly towards Christians or not, doesn't matter. At any point, we will be rejected because of Christ. We will be rejected because we're perceived to be bigots, rejected because we're perceived, I think, falsely, to be angry, mean people. I don't think we're angry or mean, but whatever, but we will be rejected for our love because we love Jesus and we want to be a distinct people. And so holiness will be rejected at some point. But when we are rejected, we are being rejected just like Jesus. Jesus was rejected. But when we're rejected, just look over at chapter one, verse one with me because we aren't rejected and left alone. This is where I want us to end. I want us to kind of focus in here and see that Peter, who's writing to these people who are exiles, they don't have a home yet. They're going someplace. They don't quite have a home yet. They're being rejected. They have a new father and a new family, but he is writing to them. And the first thing he says to them, do you elect exiles? Verse two, according to the foreknowledge of God, the father in the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to Christ Jesus, for sprinkling with his blood. Here you have the people of God. They are... Resting in the fellowship, the friendship, the love, the joy of God himself, the triune God. You have father, son, and spirit as the grounding and foundation of their community, of this community of God's people here. The only grounding, the roots that we stand, that grow out of, the, the ground that we stand on, the joy that we experience together only exists because God himself is a fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we rest in his fellowship. We rest in his friendship. We rest in his joyful community. Our community is joyful because we are saved to rest in a joyful triune God who is infinitely joyful and has joyfully saved us. He has joyfully saved us to be a community, a joyful community, and made us to be a joyful community because we will reflect God. We will look like him. We will be like him. So we are called as a community to be a joyful because we have a new father. Redefines our identity. We have a new family that we live to be like the father with. We have a new life of love that we have a mission to love each other. We are born to love each other. We are born to love the people around us. We are made to be a joyful community because we are called to something so much better in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us to know your love for us, to rest in you, to know you, to be like you, God. Help us to be a joyful community. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.